0: press comes to us for comment on stuff i think if you could become a voice for something you do get a lot of free media that would be one tactic i would suggest the other of course is to get sued
1: (laughs) that raises your profile quite a lot described as one of the world's most influential women and ceos justine roberts is at the helm of one of the world's most talked about forums Mumsnet. Loved by many, and the cause of many heated discussions, Justine has created a place for open and frank conversation for a wide sector of the public. As a wife and mother of four, including twins, Justine has the exact experience of how hard it is to be a mum, a working mum, and many people would thank her for their own sanity. Recognised for her impact on the economy and ultimately being awarded a CBE in 2017, the Oxford educated ex-journalist takes time from her busy schedule, probably having to run here in trainers... Sort of Converse's, yeah, yeah, similar uh, to discuss all things mum's net, grand's net, and probably Liverpool FC net. Right, Justine, welcome, and thank you for taking. Time thank to you, talk to me. pleasure, pleasure. Okay, so um, especially making time for me, given I'm not a parent, unless you include pets, which you probably. Oh, don't.
0: definitely. I mean, I've, my two patterdale terriers are more trouble than all the kids put together. So well, well, um, I sympathise. Yeah, thought. have
1: you got any pets net on the horizon?
0: We have some very active forums on all types of pet ownership so we have the dog house for dog owners we have chicken keepers for the chicken people and, and the, the tax monitor room for horses. Else. yeah the cats are just busy everywhere aren't they you know there's no controlling the cats
1: exactly they're just doing what they want to do yeah um so uh, we always start off with our guests with a quick fire round just to uh learn some quick facts about you so summer or winter spring okay <laughs> blog or vlog
0: uh definitely blog
1: Okay. And iPhone or Android? Android. Good. Me too. <laughs> uh, the only person that's ever said that very yeah. much, though.
0: Yeah. Tube or taxi? Both. Depending. Tube is good, though, because you get your steps in.
1: True. Well, walking's better, then, in that case. If that's well, motivation. Yeah,
0: Although well, there's a lot of walking on the tube. But, um, yes, it depends on the weather and, okay. the, and the time of day.
1: All right. Well, as England, so we'll say tube. Okay, tube. Um, no, I was mostly not telling you, it was because of the weather part but, uh, <laughs> uh, Right, Liverpool FC or England?
0: A silly question, that's uh, the Reds every time
1: True Patriot through and through <laughs> uh, Netball or football? Football Favourite tipple?
0: Coffee, gin
1: Okay I, gin. I mean, I could go on A new drink, yeah. gin with <laughs> Depends, day or night Good, right, hopefully that's made you ready for the big question So let's just talk career So you started off as a journalist Then you went... Um, for a well-publicised epic failure of a holiday, which started the birth of Mum's Net. Can you tell us a little bit about that holiday and how it started?
0: Yes. So it was my first holiday as a parent, um, and I had my nearly one-year-old twins in tow. I had all the paraphernalia for them and a teeny little bit of hand luggage for us. And we picked everything wrong. We picked the wrong destination the wrong resort the wrong time zone quite frankly the wrong children and it was an unmitigated disaster from start to finish but it was also for most of the other parents who chose that particular venue so the very simple light bulb idea was wouldn't it have been good to find out before we left and it's not just holiday destinations is it's all that stuff that as parents you are clueless about and no one trains you for and it's really quite an important job possibly the most important job you will ever do so it would be good to connect and just then there was this thing called the internet that presented the opportunity to connect to all kinds of people all over the place so that seemed like a good vehicle for this startup idea oh,
1: for this very fledgling idea that turned yeah. into an empire so um how did your partnership with carrie longton come about and can you explain who she is
0: yes so i met carrie um at antenatal class so we were we had a regular monday group along with um our antenatal group and i persuaded her to join me in this venture. She was reluctant, I think. She'd been a TV producer, reluctant to go back to work, reluctant to do this because she hadn't even... She didn't have a laptop. She didn't really know what the internet was. And reluctant to work... To full full-time so I promised her I, I sort of lied through my teeth I said we could have every meeting in the jacuzzi at the local gym it was all about lifestyle and work-life balance we did try a meeting in the jacuzzi at the local gym but the papers got very soggy so we couldn't carry on with that
1: and wasn't wasn't a good place to teach her how to use a laptop either I guess yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly but you know she did do the kind of flexible working thing and that is something that we've continued with Mumsnet as a principle that we try and make work, work around the people who work here.
1: And do you remember what your original pitch was?
0: Let's give it a go. It might be fun. And you don't have to work too hard.
1: I meant to investors. That would be an amazing pitch to investors. To (laughs) investors.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, these were back in the days of the gold rush of the internet. So it was, you know, we are going to be enormous, scale up, quick. It's all about land grab. We're going to have more visitors and more e-commerce sales than it's possible to imagine because we're going to be the first mover. As it turned out, none of that was right. Some of it. Well, I think think certainly not the sales and... It's certainly not the money raising bit we didn't manage any of that because the dot-com bubble burst and mm. everything went quiet for can some time
1: you, can you take us through that story because i've read about this and it's, yeah. it's fascinating and especially you know these ebbs and flows that entrepreneurs go through you're either in the right time or the wrong time or just about one or the other yes um so how did you go about securing investment or the whole process so well to speak? well
0: we went about it in the way that everyone was going about it which is i wrote a business plan that was literally sticking my finger in the air and. Guessing some stuff but making everything sound very big very global that we were going to burn through lots of cash so we needed lots of cash and I got quite close to raising four and a half million pounds which is what I was asking for fortunately I didn't I mean I had some interesting conversations along the way once someone said I'll give you the money but I want someone else to run it which then that someone else actually was a childless man, which made me laugh for a site called Mumsnet. And then um, someone else said, I can't give you any money, but when you fail, you can come and work for me. And then luckily, the dot com bubble burst before there was any more humiliation. (laughs) And no one was raising any more money. And it turned out to be very lucky because all our projections were wrong. There was no e-commerce. People were on dial up. It took you know, 15 minutes to kind of log on. So the idea that we were going to make a fortune of e-commerce at that point was just madness. And we would have just raised lots of money, had a shiny office in Clerkenwell, taken on loads of people and then had to fire them all. So I'm actually incredibly relieved that we didn't. And we were afforded some time to grow this community by word of mouth, organically, slowly from the back bedroom of my house that gave us time really to do it properly. And you never took any money? Never took any money, no. Well, actually, I say that. One of my good friends put a few grand in. and We didn't even spend it all (laughs) in the first three years. Yeah, so she's done well.
1: Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Very nice. So you're still friends.
0: We're still good friends, yeah.
1: And you might not have been with your VC investors on Well,
0: I think I would have lost them a lot of money and uh, it would have been a very painful exercise, so. Do
1: you have any regrets about that experience? I mean, obviously looking back now on how well it's gone, it might be hard to, but, you know, if you'd have succeeded in executing some of those things, do you think it would have been different and quite an interesting journey or has it turned out how you'd hoped?
0: I don't have regrets about it in the sense that I think, as I say, we were lucky, timing wise I think unless you got in and out at that stage most people went bust a lot of um, highly funded competitors went bust and burnt a lot of cash on the way spoiled a lot of lives probably so I don't have any regrets about that and in any case I think all mistakes are learnings to, yeah, I'm pleased that I don't have a bunch of people who care about the bottom line at all costs that's allowed us to do something slightly different with Mumsnet mm-hmm. to really focus on user needs so in a ways. I'm actually thankful for my inability to have raised cash. I think it's allowed us to do something quite different.
1: I think with very, very few extremely obvious exceptional um, exceptions... Building communities at scale really quickly is virtually impossible because you just don't know what people want until you've really experienced it slowly yes.
0: and honestly. And because and it's all about authenticity, right? So the idea that you can sort of fake enthusiasm, fake users. And yes, as you rightly say, you need to follow uh, what the crowd is telling you, not to try and dictate. So, yeah, it's all about listening and then adapting.
1: Do you remember who your first hires were and how you chose um, who they were, why they needed to be on the team and such things? Yeah.
0: Well, initially we were just begging and borrowing favors, So a lot of friends with various skills were called into, into action, whether it was legal staff in fact, the guy who wrote the code for us was, was one of my best friends, who fortunately had um, he'd studied the same thing as me at university, but he'd done a coding course in his spare time. So he wrote the code and developed Mumsnet. And our first proper hire really wasn't till about 2007, when we actually... So that was seven years after we started. Everyone else was sort of a mate doing us a favour. Some people were paid bits and bobs, but it was, uh, it was only in 2007 we actually hired an editor, a proper editor, and paid a them a proper salary. Uh, they came from the BBC, actually. Okay. Yeah.
1: So how did you decide? You must have advisors, or can you just describe this team to us? Or was it just you? Basically, what I'm trying to do is understand the picture of the first seven years. We've just walked into your very lovely, creative-looking office. It's full of people and different cavernous entrances and exits into different rooms as well. So I feel like we're maybe halfway through the maze. But the reality is, you know, the picture you're painting is might be you in your bedroom for seven years with people coming in and out to do various different favours here and there. Yeah, no,
0: everyone was working from home and we would occasionally meet round dining room tables. But there weren't many people. I mean, it was incredibly bootstrapped. It was, you know, we really didn't draw a salary for a good five years. People were working just the few hours they could manage. It was incredibly so I mean, I don't know if you remember back then, but the bottom fell out and no one believed in it. Mm. Luckily, we grew community and they sent us cheques, sometimes literally in the post to keep it going.
1: Like the Jimmy Wales of uh, mums.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> there was no... There, I mean, it was kind of like NPR. Every now and then I would write a sort of mail saying, you know, doing my fundraising bit and saying, you know, for two ninety nine a month, it's the cost of a Starbucks, blah, blah, blah. There was no commercial interest at all there was no commercial interest even in the internet was hard but the idea of the social web really hadn't happened if you think Facebook didn't start till 2004 it didn't come to the UK really till 2005 and Twitter started in 2006 so everyone was scared stiff advertisers were scared stiff of real people discussing their brands that wasn't something they were going to pay for mm. um, so it wasn't until about 2006 2007 everyone started Started going mad about Web 2.0. And then suddenly we thought, OK, there's some revenue, which means we can hire someone and get an office and stuff like that.
1: Did it follow that typical, um, surprisingly un VC funded but hockey stick graph where it's all quiet for the first six, seven years and then suddenly it's one big line up?
0: Yes, it was. When Americans look at the graph of our user growth, they always say, oh my God, you've gone exponential, Mm. which is a good thing. (laughs) I'm pleased to say. So yeah, it was exactly like that. And it was a concurrence of a number of things. One was people started believing the business model, the social web became a thing, but we also got sued memorably. So our profile was raised quite a lot, and then David Cameron came on and did a web chat. So, for all kinds of reasons, we had a very quiet start and then a very accelerated growth period from about 2006 onwards.
1: And what happened with the lawsuit? What specifics? Is that something you're allowed to talk about?
0: I'm not allowed to talk about some of the outcomes of it. Can the subtle a
1: generic anecdote.
0: Well, so, yes, yeah, so we were sued by Gina Ford, who was the best selling author of parenting books the biggest selling author of parenting books in the UK she wrote a book telling you how to you know look after your baby your newborn baby and it was called contented little baby and she was a polarizing figure she has kind of quite a regimented procedural method of looking after babies some people love it some people hate it that played out on mum's net it was really a sort of early stage misunderstanding that the web is not like a newspaper it's not a you know we weren't choosing and commissioning and editing and vetting what people were saying it was a free conversation so she tried to shut us down literally she threatened our server uh, host and all kinds of things because she didn't really get the fact that this was a discussion not a publication and you know the libel laws took a while to catch up with the internet and we worked very hard after this incident to lobby for a change in the libel laws which now reflect a bit more about the fact that it's individual people speaking not a publication speaking
1: for you personally you've been working on something for so long hustling away not on your own obviously because you had a community of, of supporters by that yeah point. yeah yeah but what kind of mental toll did that take on you at the time
0: in the way it was, it felt like a labour of love, not not a business at that stage. But it was incredibly rewarding because of the users and the community. So, I mean, very soon people would write to us and say, "Mums, that's literally saved my life." For various reasons, either you know they were postnatally depressed, or they had a child who was very ill, or they were in a domestic violence situation, and the community was supporting them through that. So. It had a purpose. You know, I certainly had doubts about whether it was ever, ever going to be financially viable,
1: but it definitely
0: felt rewarding. Yeah,
1: you were fulfilled. Yeah. But to get sued at that point, that's...
0: To get sued for was both scary, but also, again, felt the community was amazing and very, very funny. I mean, it's a very um, common reaction on net to sort of greet adversity with humour. I think that's a parental thing, quite frankly. It's all you've got, really, at certain grim times is a bit of a sense of humour about it. So it was being in that media storm when we led, I remember being the first item on Channel 4 News, that was weird and odd and difficult, and completely time-consuming, and then the legal case went on for some time, and I became a very boring person, you know, I would accost people, you know, friends of mine, and just bang on about the lawsuit, it's a bit like when people get divorced, they really can't talk about anything else, and if anything, that was what made us settle, was this, you know, it was just taking all the focus, all the energy. But it was also, we were at the vanguard of freedom of speech on the web, so we had a lot of people supporting us, a lot of free legal advice and stuff like that. You know, it wasn't as grim as it sounds. It was very intense, but not as grim as it sounds. It sounds like it was
1: kind of a pivotal point. You know, it was intended as a negative and turned out to be a positive. Yes, I
0: know. It's my advice to all fledgling websites, get sued. Yeah,
1: sounds like a great <laughs> public opportunity. That is
0: quite flippant,
1: but there was a, I mean, clearly there was. I guess we know was. what we'll be using in the trailer soundbites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I just want to talk to you, uh, to you about um, how you personally developed as well, because uh, you went from, I guess, one of the most unique skills is to be a leader in a distributed environment, especially at the vanguard of that, because that's obviously not what the norm was at the time, having distributed workforces. And the Internet is the thing that made that possible and you were at the forefront of that. But now you're surrounded by people every single day. Did you have to make a massive shift in how you behave as a leader? Did you get mentoring, coaching, read all the books? Did it just happen very naturally because you're just born that way?
0: No, um, no, I definitely had, have had to evolve and work on myself. And I think, you know, it's partly about the size of the organisation when you're under 50 Uh, It's very easy for people to understand, you know, what the values are because they can witness it, really. But once you get beyond that, you have to work very hard at communicating. And that didn't come naturally. I had to go and learn it. I had to go and understand that actually saying nothing was saying something and that you are, you know sort of a role model at all stages and and I now devote quite a lot of my time to internal communication I've always devoted a lot of my time to external communication but the internal bit is something you have to actually devote time to and it's I think it's a key part of the job of a CEO and you know the role evolves away from when you're a startup CEO you're sort of got a finger in every pie and you're doing everything and you're the energy and you have to train yourself not to be that interfering person and to actively go and hire people who are better than you Mm. at doing some of those specialist jobs so yeah no I had to read a lot of books and reprogram myself and I had to have quite a hard conversation with myself about whether this is my natural skill set and if it's not can I learn something new Uh, because it wasn't my natural state of affairs I don't think it is for many founders actually but the question is are you able to go and learn and retrain yourself and you know it's a work in Progress. progress.
1: <laughs> what do you think your own colleagues would say about you if we asked them and you weren't listening? What, you know, what's Justine like as a CEO? What, what do you think they say and what would you hope they say?
0: Oh god, that is a really hard question yeah, but well, you being your
1: biggest critic which is part of your self-development learning journey. Yeah, so, no, absolutely. And then we'll I catch mean, it on audio. <laughs> I Yeah, thanks guys.
0: I mean, I, I hope they say that I lead from the front in the sense of I take responsibility and ownership of stuff and that I'm brave. And I hope that they would also say that I'm collaborative. I mean, we've defined our values here. They do reflect how I would like to be as a leader. So being straightforward and honest, being pragmatic and flexible, being brave and fearless are values that we have I wouldn't have them if I didn't think
1: I could reflect them, and well, are the things that Mum's very famous for. Yeah,
0: yeah, and being collaborative is the other. So, you know, that's what I hope they'd say. What what else would they say? They'd probably say that uh, you should never ever play any competitive sport with me. And people actually sort of run away when I suggest a game of rounders and things like that. So, there's a bit of history there. <laughs> okay,
1: so no, no company sports days. Or <laughs> well, we are, do have just, them, yeah, it's but just, it's, uh, it's just a tumbleweed <laughs> going
0: across because no one's turned up. They come along and i have to curtail my competitive instincts
1: okay is it just the let justine win day yeah Yeah, i think probably
0: that's (laughs) what it comes down to
1: (laughs) um what have been the biggest challenges for you uh in oil so you've mentioned obviously uh getting sued being one but it turned out to be a huge opportunity doesn't sound like that was the hardest moment amongst us what was the hardest moment that you have on record about your journey so far
0: i think the hardest period of time was when we were under pretty persistent attack in terms of being hacked and swatted and all that stuff. So there were about, it was about a three week period where we were, we suffered DDoS attacks and uh, phishing attempts and then I and a couple of users had their house swatted, which is I was officially the first person ever in the UK to be swatted, which is my claim to fame. Uh, which is what that means is a SWAT team is sent round to your house in the middle of the night. In fact, in my case, I think they said there'd been a murder of a child, and so you know, armed police turn up and dogs and the whole lot. And you know, it's up to it's
1: a, you while terrifying you.
0: Well, to to try and stop an incident, you know and it's ended very bad it's it's much bigger in america where it started in the gaming community and people have been known to be shot because you know they're moving about in their house and the police mistake it for the intruder and so it's pretty scary stuff and that went hand in hand with the site being under daily attack our servers being flooded and a hacking attempt too so that was pretty bad and it was a great um strain on on the team here because we had to work all hours both to keep the community informed and to try and get them as safe as possible so that felt quite lonely actually we also had a bomb threat here actually i remember that was the most intense tough period um
1: pretty intense and tough by most people's standards yeah
0: but again you know there were upsides RT we by that time we were about 100 people and the team rallied immensely everyone went out though I came in at all hours to sort the problem and that was really heartening but in terms of just being draining and I remember not being able to sleep and that's kind of a bad thing right because I, I kept waking up thinking you know we were Kind of, there were masked men coming to attack us. So you know that was a slightly obvious manifestation of my concern.
1: Well, how did you get out of that period? Because obviously, you know, with something like that, there's no sort of finality to it. Once you've been exposed to the terror, that that could be a thing. Like, how do you, how do you find yourself getting comfortable again, or does it just pass for time?
0: Well, I mean, we got better. Security in terms of, I mean, in site security. So we paid for a very expensive firewall. We closed the gap that allowed the phishing. So there are a set of, like anything, you know, you have your immediate response and then you have what can you learn and how can you be better. So, I mean, you know, in some ways we made the site safer. No site is ever safe, but we're much safer than we were and we're much more professional about it than we were. So, you know, I do firmly believe that everything comes with a learning and that was our learning
1: that was your firewall learning yeah we
0: also we also learnt some lessons on communication i think we did pretty well about you know again our values came to the core we we care you know more about keeping our users safe than keeping things quiet so we were transparent we were open every time you go through one of these instances you learn how to do it better
1: So you're an advocate um, for many good causes via Mumsnet. What are the current causes you're most um, involved with at the moment?
0: So we we have a campaign around postnatal care, trying to get um, postnatal care more consistently better across uh, the country. We're about actually to do something on... Baby wipes, have you ever used baby wipes? You may not have. Yeah. Well, because they are amazing whether you've got a baby or not yeah. for cleaning stuff, but they absolutely cause havoc if they get flushed down
1: the loo Yeah, biodegradable ones, now, I saw. Yeah, so. so. very popular.
0: Yeah, well, biodegradable um are really helpful, but they still mess up the plumbing system and cause problems for the water company, so we're going to get involved in that to just simple messaging to stop people doing that. And what other causes are we interested in? I mean, we tend to reflect what the conversation that's going on on Mumsnet, so we've got an ongoing mission to get uh, I don't know if you've heard of a company called Bounty, but they basically collect data in postnatal wards. So they literally come and uh, quiz you after you've just given birth and get your data. And it's really intrusive. And they intrusive.
1: subscription um, products you. Is that the one?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a couple of models, but yes. And that's really intrusive. And uh, we don't understand why the NHS let that happen. Um, so we're trying to Kick them out of the Labour wards, yeah. Um, So there are lots of things, but you never know. We don't sit there and say, what are our campaigns going to be for the next 12 months? We see what comes out of our forums.
1: Talking about, um, I was just about to ask a different question, and then I remembered your comment on how the community responds with humour and laughter a lot. Yeah. Are there some great examples that spring to mind, or you know, the, are just some of the funniest moments from Mumsnet that you can just remember?
0: I mean, some of them are quite, my favourite moments are all the really nuanced threads, which it never really don't come across in a nutshell. But I'll give you an example around the Gina Ford suing thing was she was at the time obviously harry potter was quite big we had to ask our users not to mention her name so i gave the analogy that was a bit like not being able to discuss manchester united on a football forum but we we felt there was no other option because we were just getting so many legal letters oh, every time going. she was mentioned sorry i can see where
1: it's going yeah she who so, might not
0: be named? exactly she <laughs> who must so immediately the our users responded with with an acronym, which is very mum's territory anyway, of she who must not be named. Um, I can't say the letters without getting it wrong, but, but, and it was just so brilliant and so straight away. And actually, they couldn't really pin it down after that, so the lawyers, so it did the job as well. So they were able to be supportive without getting us into legal trouble.
1: That kind of response uh, seems a little bit like it's almost like you're a, a parallel universe to Reddit. Well, it's exactly the same kind of behaviour, exactly the same type of community, but just a completely different type of person.
0: You know, Reddit and Mumsnet have very similar traits. The difference is I think we moderate much more actively. We have a set of values that we moderate too. If you walk in here, the first thing you see is a sign saying we want to make parents' lives easier. And in the end, we do try and keep it civil. Because in the end, we, we think everyone screaming at each other doesn't make anyone's lives easier.
1: Yeah. And I guess if there's no boundaries, it can really go anywhere. Exactly. Okay. Enough business chat. I uh, want to just get to know uh, Justine Roberts uh, for a brief moment, if we may. So uh, wife, mother, Liverpool fan, we've covered that stuff. But how do you manage a work-life balance? Is there such a thing?
0: I don't think I would say that they are disconnected enough to say they are in balance. So I think increasingly, particularly with this thing called a smartphone in your hands, it's impossible to separate the two. So I think you actually have to work really actively, very hard at carving out space from work, and you almost have to book it in your diary. <laughs> it's quite interesting. You have to book in time off, because otherwise it's almost impossible. So that's what i do i try and i mean i wouldn't say it was balanced, but i try and carve out time for the things that are really important to keep me sane and to keep my family happy
1: what does a typical day look like for you because by just listening to that it sounds almost like you you've got quite a good routine now is that nonsense is that just uh a, a, i mean it was a guess so it could be I, totally mean, I, would,
0: I mean the thing what what you see what the smartphone has allowed you to do is to be always on which is good right because you're always productive whether you know i i don't walk anywhere without listening to a podcast i don't sit anywhere without checking my email it's incredibly productive, and you can work much more flexibly and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, it means you're always on. And in the end, I think that's not great for you in terms of recharging, and it's certainly not great for your family and the people you care about, because you can always be distracted. So my, I'm sort of always on, but I actively carve out periods when I'm off. And that's kind of the way I deal with
1: it. What do you do to unwind? Do you meditate? Do you do anything like that?
0: i try and do yoga but i find it quite hard to make myself do that so actually we have a yoga class on thursday lunchtimes here because then it feels like it's sort of regimented and part of my job but um no what do i do i watch football I do a lot of that. Very
1: meditative um, watching Premier League football, yeah. as everyone knows. Yeah, well, it's definitely distracting though, you. right?
0: And I do holidays where where you it's quite hard. Often there's quite a lot of danger, so you can't really think about other things. You, you must know. have
1: so many sarcastic comments going to you before you pick any destination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, where, where's your favourite place to holiday now? Not the same place well, as before.
0: I quite like swimming in the estuary near where my parents live that I like going there because it's um there's no scene there. there's no it's very just peaceful so that's nature that's my better nature but I, I you know I really like skiing you can't really think about much else when you're trying to get down a mountain and stay alive, and sailing is the other one. So there's things I like doing.
1: Okay, so some semi-extremes there as well. Yeah, so
0: a bit of near-death experience. Yeah, yeah.
1: nothing like that for a bit of clarity. (laughs) I mean, look, managing all the stuff, you know, between your personal life, your private life, these kind of attacks, etc. Quite a superpower, might say. Not the kind of thing that everyone can just handle. I would imagine there's been some people along the way that you've looked up to or that might have helped you through some of those experiences. So who, who are your mentors or even if not, you know, people that you look up to, like great authors, philosophers, anything like that? Or So I,
0: at this point I have to mention my husband who is incredibly supportive and, if he wasn't doing the job he did he would do very well in crisis comms
1: mm. i genuinely <laughs> thought when i asked that question you were going to say something like ian rush oh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: no I, I mean i'm coming now i'm getting okay, there, I'm getting yeah. there. Okay. um so Even no I, I mean i have to you know but he is my confidant my friend you know so he's very supportive and quite frankly he had to be right because mumsnet was a labor of love for the first six years so you know and he was always very enthusiastic about it so that he deserves a huge, um, well, uh, thank you from me, really. Um, in terms of inspirational role models, so from the past, Bill Shankly would definitely, I mean, and I mean that not flippantly. I think what he did at Liverpool involving, you know, it was for the people. He really understood that the crowd and the uh, the people who paid the money to come were as important as the owners of the club and the team and all the rest of it, and he understood that. And I'm pleased to say Jurgen Klopp is... Has come in back and reignited that tradition as well, so that's why he's doing so well. But I, you know, I've read a lot about Bill Shankly, and I actually think he is a great democratic socialist, and I really enjoy his. He was an early engager with the people. Put it like that. In in terms of Romans, I'm I'm on a board of an insurance company that is in the FTSE 100 now, and is only 20 years old, and the way that the founders have. Um, grown that business and kept it real and their philosophy about equality, about communication and about looking after their staff is inspirational. A couple of men called David and Henry who run Admiral Insurance, I'd give them a shout out. For me, it's not about stars and celebs, it is about the users of Mumstat, who, from very early on, have been incredibly supportive and, as I say, funny and full of humour and really show that There is such a thing of people going out of their way to be communal and kind to each other. So the way they support each other, again, they're completely anonymous, largely, through very difficult life situations, gave life to Mumsnet, really. It's the everyday acts of kindness that really blow me away.
1: What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
0: Okay, so this is a bit rude.
1: Um, (laughs) we've got a parental guidance feel free to yeah it's fine don't worry
0: feel free to cut this out but no I think as particularly in this sort of social media environment as a woman speaking up it can be quite scary and going on things like question time and putting yourself out there can feel you know you can often have that inner voice saying you don't deserve to be there you know you're a fraud you're you're you know All those sort of trolls on Twitter come flooding at you and you think um, you can easily get very cowed. So a friend of mine once told me before anything, before you do anything, just think, fuck them, I'm going to prove them wrong. So that's kind of what I do. I stand there and say, fuck it, fuck them. I'm going to do this anyway. Um,
1: it's been working so far.
0: And I recently also learnt that you should put the pressure on the right ball of your feet before you do any kind of public speaking, because it connects with the left side, the analytical memory side of your brain. So, so it, there's one. a
1: specific foot. Or yeah, so I'm do, I'll
0: do it right now, and they'll probably suddenly become very clear. So just under your big toe on your right foot, that you should lean on that when you're doing anything. You know, if you're being asked to think publicly, that's what you should do.
1: That is great advice. (laughs) I mean, that might be the best advice we've had on here. Full stop. Always the best advice. (laughs) I can trust you for that from now on. Thank you very much, Justine. Cheers. Next week on Secret Leaders. I'd been encouraged by a professor who said, look, I don't think this is a good business, but you should throw this out on Kickstarter so it can fail. I came back to London, threw it online, and it sold out in four days. I remember on the one hand being excited and on the other hand being incredibly nervous. You know, you now have to go do this thing. That was Tim Brown of Allbirds, the world's most comfortable shoe. And I should know because I've got three pairs and Tim literally only gave me one of them for free. Anyway, they were the world's fastest ever direct-to-consumer brand to reach a billion-dollar valuation. But Tim's own story is awesome and starts with him leading his country, New Zealand, to the World Cup. So one way or another, he's always been good with his feet. You will love this one. So tune in or you'll miss out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by your host. That's me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer, Rich Martell, edited by Harry Morton of Lower Street Media. And if you've heard this, it'll probably have something to do with Jennifer Osman in Canada. You'll also notice throughout this series, we've got some beautiful illustrations made for every episode. And that's all thanks to Christina Naru of smartupvisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming Secret Leaders live events on secretleaders.com. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe on whatever media player you use. Just follow us at Secret Leaders on Instagram or at Secret Leaders 1 on Twitter. And tell just one friend about how freaking awesome this episode is. If you want to go the extra mile, I'm at Dan Murray Serta on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And we'd love to see you take some screenshots of the episode you're listening to and share it across your social media. It'll bring a tear to our eye and joy to our hearts. See you next week. Tune in or you'll miss out.